Would you set captives free this morning? We are here giving you our worship. Your spirit is here. Take what we've done and what we're going to be doing in worship ahead in each of our lives. And as we continue to give you our worship, may we taste and see how good you are. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come move and guide and lead and shape our lives more around the life of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Is my mic coming from, David, this or this? This. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. All right. There are a lot of great quotes from William Shakespeare's plays, and and some of you will, will know various ones, but there's a very famous one that comes from Romeo and Juliet. See if you remember this one. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. You familiar with that? It's a line that Juliet said to Romeo in the context of her saying, a name is just a name. A name means nothing. It is just a convention that is meaningless. Well, some would say that names don't mean anything, that names are meaningless, but not so with St. Andrews. (laughs) You ever wonder where we got our name, St. Andrews? It comes from the gospel reading from John's gospel that was read just a moment ago. In John chapter 1, Jesus invites two of John the Baptist's disciples to come and see. And Andrew was one of them. And he went and followed him and stayed with Jesus. The next morning, Andrew got up and found his brother Simon. And he brought him to Jesus in a sense saying, you've got to come. You've got to see. So what's in a name? I would say everything is in a name. Everything. St. Andrew's was founded upon the importance of inviting people to come and see Jesus. Come to a worship service and see Jesus. Come walk with me as I live my life. Come and see Jesus. Friends, because he's the one who changes our lives. Amen. He's the one who is our redeemer, our king, the one who sets us free. The one who alone is worthy of all our praise. This morning, as well as for the next two Sundays, we're going to be building up to our 25th uh, birthday celebration uh, in mid-October. And what I'm doing on each of these Sundays is taking some key uh, markers that St. Andrew's was founded on and bringing them in to remind us the calling that God has for us. And for us to see how do we live in light of that calling as we go forward. So I just want to remind you of the mission of St. Andrews. The mission of St. Andrews is to extend God's transforming love and grace by being disciples making disciples. Let me say that again. There's a lot in there. The mission of St. Andrews is to extend God's transforming love and grace to be disciples making disciples. Now, part of this calling of being a disciple making disciples is about you and me who are followers of Jesus engaging people that we know who aren't believers in Christ to come and see, to invite them to come and see the one who alone, as Jesus said, is the way, the truth, and the life. He really is. So let me kind of bring the context into this scene this morning that we're going to be looking at for the next few minutes It's in the context of Jesus beginning to call his 12 disciples. 
the 12 who would follow him for three years leading up to his crucifixion and then resurrection. Well, in this scene before us, John the Baptist with two of his disciples, and a disciple is a follower, so two of his followers, one was Andrew. They're standing on the side of the road and they see Jesus walk by. And and John the Baptist cries out, Behold the Lamb of God. And what took place next is a profound and rich dialogue between Jesus and Andrew and the other disciple. Here's what we read in verses 38 and 39 again. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? That's an important question we're going to come back to. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the tenth hour. What I want to do this morning is jump off of that very important question that Jesus asked, What are you seeking? And to say this, the first thing we're going to look at is this. We're all searching for something. Jesus always knows the right questions to ask. And the reality is every one of us is searching for something. That's what we're going to see first. The second thing is, how does our role as followers of Jesus, how do we engage our friends who are not believers in Jesus in such a way that we connect their searching to come and see Jesus? who answers what they're looking for, okay? So what does that look like for us? And the final thing that we're going to look at this morning in light of that, why aren't we really doing it so much? But let's first dive in. Jesus asked the question, what are you seeking? It's an important question. It's really a universal question for every person, isn't it? It's a question that's universal because Jesus knows that every single person on the face of this earth comes into this world searching, We're all seeking for something. Now, people may not say that they're searching for Jesus, right? But everyone is looking for some type of Messiah. Some type of Messiah, some Savior, someone or something that's going to give you what you're really hoping is going to satisfy what I would say that God-centered void in all of our lives. We search all over the place for identity, don't we? We search all over the place for contentment. And there's so many things that we often grab that are, that are good things, but we grab thinking, that's going to make my life content, right? Then if I just had this, then I would be, huh, okay, right? And we all have tried different things, and, and, and we realize, no, you know what? Those things don't satisfy because I'm still left with that longing. Well, y'all, here's the glorious truth out of this passage. Jesus knows what we're all looking for, and he knows how to meet every single need. Every need you brought in this morning, every longing you have on your heart, Jesus knows exactly what those are, and he knows how to meet them. And the beauty is this. You and I get the opportunity to invite people to come and see Jesus. You want to talk about a calling for our lives? You want to talk about waking up out of just this old humdrum, let's just get through the week so we can get to the weekend and have a little fun, and then we've got to start the week over again? How to break out of that pattern? Begin to get a vision of what it looks like to be one who says, come and see Jesus, and you will find your life ignited with a new passion, seeing how God is using you for his kingdom. You see, if everyone is searching 
then you and I have the incredible opportunity to bring them to come and see Jesus. One of the things I love about this passage, it says that, that Andrew went and stayed with Jesus that night. And, and it said this, that when he woke up the next morning, he first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought Simon to come and see. Now, what compelled him to do it? Andrew had only been with Jesus for a night, right? But only in that short period he saw that what he was really searching for, longing in his heart, that Jesus was the one. He saw it. And because that made an impact on his life, he couldn't help but go get his brother, who also was searching, to come and see the one who knows everything. And we know he did. He later changed his name to Peter. And we, the story goes on throughout the, the Scriptures about Peter. So that's the first thing I want us to see this morning, that we live in a world where we're all searching. We're all searching. And you and I have the incredible privilege to invite our friends to come and see. Now, our role then is to connect that, right? So how do we do that? What does it look like to connect with others in such a way where we invite them to come and see Jesus? Well, I think we complicate it a lot, but it's actually rather simple. God has placed every single one of us in an influential place in our families, with the friends that we have, uh, and the places of work where we go during the day, whatever that might be for you. He's placed you right where you are, that you would be a light in the very presence of Jesus. Now think about that, how that transforms what you do in a given day. To think, I really am here by the Lord's calling. It may just seem mundane, but God has you where He has you, in your family, with your friends, in your, in your vocation, where you play your sports, that you would actually be a radiant light of Jesus, an influence among them. And so in the context of come and see, you and I get to be people as we get to know others who are not believers to invite them to come and see. So here's a question. What would it look like for you to bring them to Jesus? I wonder if you have a vision for that. What would it look like for you to bring your unbelieving friends to Jesus? But maybe I need to back up and ask the question, do you have unbelieving friends? Do you have unbelieving friends in your sphere of influence? Or have you, as some do, sadly, isolated yourself and you're just, you just have Christian friends and that's it? I would encourage you to do what a friend of mine uh, challenged me with many years ago, and it really has changed how I wake up in the morning. My friend is Carter Crenshaw. He wakes up every morning and asks God to bring unbelievers in his path. Friends, it's astonishing to see how many people this man's life is impacting because he asked the question at the beginning of the day, God, would you bring unbelievers in my path, people that I can just get to know? and invite to come and see. Now, you may say, well, it sounds like your friend's an evangelist. Well, he is. He does have the gift of evangelism. But guess what? That's not just a calling for a few. <laughs> we see in the Great Commission, we're all called to go and make disciples, right? So we're all called to engage folks who don't believe in Jesus and to invite them to come and see. And we do it not out of our strength, but out of our weakness, so here's what I would begin to just encourage you with. And it's very simple, but just give it a try. I would say give it a try for a month 
and come back and tell me what you see God beginning to do. Start with prayer. Start and just say, God, would you bring unbelievers, folks who don't know you, would you bring them in my sphere of influence? And then as he does, begin to pray for them. Begin to say, God, show me what, show me what you want me to see about their life. Show me what it looks like to have opportunities to get to know them in a deeper way. One of the things I'd encourage you to do is this. Begin to engage them in thoughtful conversations about where they are, about what they might be believing. Listen to their stories. Get to know their story. Don't do what we often do is say, here's what you need to know, right? (laughs) No, that's way jumping the gun, We don't ever need to say that until first we've heard their story and we've won the right to be heard, not judging them, but coming in a very curious way. They may have radically different beliefs, and many will. But when you come as a genuine friend to get to know them, you begin to engage them. You'll begin to hear them ask questions like this. Now, they may not say it in this way, but they're thinking these questions. What's the meaning of my life? What's the meaning of my life? What am I here for? What does it look like for my life to really make a difference? Questions we're all asking, aren't they? You see, when we come alongside people and begin to engage them in a relational way, not an off-putting way, we begin to hear their story, we're able to say, come see Jesus. And we begin to see how Jesus begins to give us the words to say as we talk with them. So I want you to first come and say, be curious. Be curious to what your friends are up to, what they believe, and see what it looks like to invite them to come and see Jesus. Friends, everyone's searching, right? But here's the challenge. So few of us are really out there doing that. So few, I think, in the church today are really out there inviting people to come and see Jesus. Why is that? I think there are a host of reasons. Maybe I'll just ask this question. Obviously, don't answer it out loud. But what keeps you from engaging your friends who, who aren't believers in Jesus? What keeps you from coming up to them and bringing them to Jesus? If you were to write down some things, what would you write down? I wonder if they would be any of these. It's intimidating. <laughs> right? What if they ask me questions that I don't know the answer to? I'm going to look really stupid, right? Well, that's very real, but you won't look stupid. I'll get to that in a minute. But there's also fear. What if I offend someone? Kind of that fear of man. This is a really good friend, and I don't want to, I don't want to kind of mess up that relationship. I don't want to ruffle the feathers there, so I'm just not going to say anything. Or maybe for some, it's just guilt, you, you, you've heard sermons in the past on evangelism, and you just feel guilted into it, and you said, I'm just not going to do that, right? Maybe it's something of, again, you lack the confidence, or, or for some, it's just not on your radar. You just go through your day and don't even think about it. Those are all different reasons why we don't engage people who aren't believers in Christ with the gospel. And you look at those, and maybe you could add things to that list as well, And all of those barriers that we face, I think they all come down to something inside of us. They're walls that we have erected, right, from various reasons and, you know, various ways 
to, that keep us from engaging people around us and inviting them to see Jesus. So what do we do? I think it begins by prayer, asking God to break those walls down, to say, God, give me a heart and a passion to live out of the mission that you have placed before me. And it's naming the hesitancy that you have, naming the fears, whatever things are there. Because, friends, here's the reality. When we name the lie, we're able to then live out of the truth. Listen to these words from Isaiah 50, verse 4. Because I say say this verse because, friends, what we need to see, it's not about us. It's about what God gives us in those moments when we invite people to come and see Jesus. Here's what we read in Isaiah The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Do you see what he's saying there? It's the Lord who's given me the tongue of those who are taught. What he's saying is God gives me the words to say. God gives me what I need. I don't know what I'm going to need in that moment tomorrow. But guess what? God knows. And if I believe that God knows that, when I'm in that conversation with that person, I may think, what do I say? But if I believe that God knows, he will give me the words to say. Just give it a try, and you will see him give you those words. And I love it that he writes this. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear. Friends, do you have an ear to hear the voice of the Lord? Do you have an ear to hear God coming and speaking to you? Because He does. And He guides us and He shows us what to say and leads us in those those opportunities. I love what we read in in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul, you would think that Paul, this man, this this incredible evangelist, right, would never be at a loss of words to to tell someone about the risen Christ. But he was at times. And I love this. This is Ephesians 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes, Pray also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You know Paul's doing here? He's asking friends to pray for him because he knows he's not bold at times, because he knows he doesn't have the words at times. But he asks his friends to come around and pray for him. You see, friends, our walk as followers of Jesus is never in a vacuum. I want to encourage you. What what friends can you invite around you to say, hey, will you pray for me? That God would give me a boldness that, that when I'm in conversations, wherever it might be, that God would give me the words to say, and then you begin to pray for them. Friends, we're going to begin to see lives being changed when people are invited to come and see Jesus. Lives are going to begin to be set free, right? That's the beauty of this glorious message. But, but I need to say this, and someone after the first service reminded me of it, and so I just want to say it. While you and I put up walls at times, one of the things we've got to watch when we're inviting people to come and see Jesus is that we're not getting in the way ourselves. And we're not letting another message get in the way of the gospel message. Because can I tell you, in American Christianity, so many people attribute Christians to one political party. 
And friends, that is a sad reality. It is not about a political party. It is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel that has got to remain front and center in everything that we do. Amen? Now, that may, that may offend some of you. And let it. <laughs> because when any time we let anything other than the gospel become the bigger thing, and we do it, and we have been in our culture all over the place these days, friends, we've got to let the gospel speak. And we've got to get our stuff out of the way so that they see Jesus. That's the message is we invite people to come and to see. And friends, we need to remember this. We don't need to have all the answers. <laughs> I want to just take that expectation off of you. You don't need to have all the answers. Guess what? When Andrew went and followed Jesus that one day, Jesus didn't just lay it all out before him, right? He said enough stuff, but there was more to come. And the same is true for you and me I think one of the great gifts that we need to recognize that is in us is the very presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And I think we miss that a lot today. But go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and read what Jesus wrote, friends. There is power that has been given to you and me to be his witnesses. Here's what Jesus wrote. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. Do you see that? So if you wonder, will I know what to say or what? No, go with boldness, because you've got the very presence and power of the Holy Spirit in, in you. And friends, nothing can come against the power and presence of the Spirit alive in us. That's a truth for us to remember as we go out and invite people to come and see. Now, I want to wrap all of this up with bringing a thread that I think brings us all together. And the whole idea of people are searching. We are given the incredible gift and opportunity to invite people to come and see Jesus. But we need to see this. He's already at work before we even say a thing or do a thing. Look at verse 42 of John chapter 1. This is Andrew. So Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What I want you to see here is that Jesus was already at work in Simon's life. He knew Simon was going to come to him. He knew what his name was. He knew he was going to change his name from Simon to Peter. Friends, what I want you to hear is this. God is already at work. He is already at work steps ahead of you and me. We invite people to come and see. We bring, but it's God who reveals. That's the beauty of this message. And when Andrew saw Jesus that very first moment on the side of that road, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, Andrew didn't know the whole story but he knew enough to connect that there was something about this man who would meet his every need. And later he would come to find out what it really meant that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Friends, the one who knows our needs is the ultimate Lamb, the final sacrificial Lamb who gave his life willingly on the cross so that you and I, in desperate need of life, 
searching all over the place, would come and see that He met it all on that cross for you and me by giving up His life, by saying it is finished, the final sacrifice, sins forgiven. Friends, that means you come in here guilt-free. How freeing and glorious is that? We come before the table this morning guilt-free because the Lamb of God was slain for you and me. That's a message worth repeating, friends, when we bring people to come and see. So just as you have been set free, how I pray that God will stir in your heart to begin to see people around you have a heart that they too would experience that freedom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this call. We thank you for the intentionality of those who had the vision to name this church St. Andrews, that we would be a people who invite others to come and see and behold your glory. Because in beholding your glory, our lives are changed. Would you stir in us? Would you light a new fire under us? Fan the flame that we would see and invite. Jesus, thank you that you called us May we live this calling out for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.